Welcome to One of Two Hundred, the New Zealand Independent Politics and Media Podcast. We're here on Sunday, the 9th of October, uh, just one day up from local election results. Wow, what a, what an interesting time we live in. Uh, voting down once again um, in all the wrong places from our point of view. Uh, very low turnout, especially in some of the big centres. Uh, pretty bad for left and progressive and liberal candidates, um, if we're being honest with ourselves. Uh, Auckland uh, went to Wayne Brown by, do we call it a landslide? Like, almost double the votes. Um, it's it's pretty convincing. Um, Christchurch went right. Um, Dunedin lost its green mare. Those are the, the big ones. And then Wellington kind of bucked the trend a little bit. Um, saw that like all the way down as well from mayoral through councillors to local boards um, and other community organisations. Yeah, just a lot of people uh, seems to have been their motivating factor has more aligned uh, with those right-wing or, or center right wing uh, business representatives than some of the things that the the left and uh, liberal progressives are offering. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I'm joined by my co-hosts Philip and Rusty. How's it going, boys? Kilda, we love to live in interesting times, don't we, folks? It's good, right? Yeah. Good morning, Red Pornicky, baby. Wellington <laughs> versus everybody. <laughs> Get ready for an hour of just rusty gloating. Um, finally, living in Wellington is paying off. I mean, in one specific way uh, and almost nothing else. If Look, if we're being honest about it. Um, yeah, I mean, Wellington can phone us back up when they don't have shit running down the streets. Uh, but until that point, I'll hold my judgment. How has it been down there, Rusty? Um, yeah, look, people are... I think people are in a, a generally buoyant mood. Um, like, I think as a, as I said on the last couple of times we talked about local politics, um, kind of local politics started mattering here, and it's it's something. There was a really good piece by um, Thomas Nash and Tamitha Paul a while back when they were talking about, you, you know, there were these complaints that oh, people are bringing politics into local government and it's not acceptable, and it's like. Yes, people are bringing politics into local government because there's a genuine contest over, you know, the direction the city is going to go in. Um, and it's motivated a lot of people on a kind of not just rate paying, road driving, street parking, status quo side. Um, and so I think people, I mean, myself as well, kind of, you know, did begin to pay attention and get invested. Um not just in the, I mean, you know, people have done incredible work in the run-up to the election, not just in the run-up to the election, but throughout the whole term. Um, and I think, you know, I was anxious that whether that was going to provoke a, um, a ratepayer revolt um, on the on the centre or even further right. Um, and we can talk about the extent to which it has, not, you know, here as well. Um but it has motivated people. People have shown up. Um, and we can talk about the ins and outs of, of the Fano campaign, but I think the campaign that 
her people and some of the, you know, local progressive candidates um, got their people to show up across the board. It's an easier lift. Wellington is an incredibly liberal city off the bat in a way that Auckland and Christchurch just aren't. Um, but it, it did work. And yeah, I am, I am happy and God forbid, even a bit excited about it. Got three years to get disappointed though. Look, be more cynical. <laughs> I think we have to knuckle down and think about how far right we need to turn. Um, at least return to the center. Liberal politics is over. Um, the left yeah. is in tatters. Full nihilism, baby. <laughs> what has your been your take on Auckland, Philip? Uh, yeah, I mean, suitably, I suppose, basically the opposite of uh, Rusty's, right? Because that's the reality on the on the ground. It all looks pretty bleak. Um, the the close races shouldn't have been close, and the bad races um, should have been close, basically across the board. A couple of big um, big names out and big names back. Um, Pippa Coombs gone um, from Central, um, who'd just sort of got her feet under the desk and was just kind of learning how to do the job, it seemed like, um, and seems to mostly have been pretty kind of staunch um, and is out for the the return, the triumphant return of the old old war horse who should have been taken out and shot years ago, Mike Lee. Um, in a video game. Yeah, yeah, in a video game, in Minecraft. Um, but yeah, pretty, pretty disappointing to see that his you know, thin thin veneer over a CNR uh, campaign was successful enough to pull him back. Um, Julie Ferry didn't make it in in um, Oweraka. That's close, yeah. That's close, but she's she's saying it's unlikely. We'll see how the specials pan out. Um, yeah, but pretty much across the board, a lot of that, a lot of kind of, you know, foe looks more right-wing than it did. The shore looks mostly bad. Um, Hills and Derby are back, but you know, it, it looks like a pretty right wing council by and large to, but, you know, the problem with right wing in the context of council is that that's not one thing, right? We can talk about this as well, but the different kind of factions within that doesn't mean that Wayne Brown has the on paper majority that some pundits seem to be saying, presuming that he will, as soon as they start voting that um, quote unquote coalition is going to immediately fall apart um, in a way that took Goff years to make functional, right? So We'll see. But I think, yeah, we basically have to start off by talking about what actually happened, right? So there are the different levels of voting turnout and also kind of uh, different structural factors on the ground that I'm sure Rusty is um, itching and crying and uh, bleeding, excited to start talking about. Yeah, so maybe start with turnout because that's the kind of baseline across everything. Um Auckland is way down. It's the worst turnout it's had since amalgamation. Um, really depressing. <laughs> um, and, I mean, down pretty consistently, except in your kind of outerlying areas. Franklin, the kind of real, why is this even part of Auckland rural um, bits of the city? Um, I haven't seen results yet, but they will have voted overwhelmingly for Wayne Brown. Yeah, Wayne Brown um, Town. Brown Town. Uh, so that's, that's Auckland. Um, actually up... The, the, in sort of smaller, more southern areas, there has actually been a lift in turnout in a lot of places. Um, and we can maybe talk a bit about why that is in terms of a, a reaction to um, some of central government's proposals. Um, and I think up in, you know, in Wellington being a bit of an outlier here, um, you know, actually pretty decently up on um, 
2019 and I think even 2016. So it is a bit of a, a reversal of of trend. Um, so that's sort of your, your kind of turn up picture. Um, and then you sort of have to begin to to think about why I think Christchurch and Dunedin mostly on par, but from the looks of things, not the same kind, necessarily the same um, kinds of people showing up, same kinds of voters showing up. Um, and, you know, it has led to, to different outcomes down there. And then, yeah, I guess the, what does it all mean, I guess, is the, the next thing. And, like, you guys would have a better read probably on the ground in Auckland, but it, it did just seem to me that the sort of your centre-left traditional Labour voting parts of Auckland, um, Pukitaapapa, um, uh, you know, um, Oaraka, Mangafau, kind of the um, in Auckland where there's a lot of red votes where Phil Goff was from um, and out south just haven't showed up um, and there's been in the, you know, conservative suburbia, um, you know, massive turnout. I think someone pointed out that 40% of people in Devonport voted and 20% of people in, in Papatoito voted. And it's like, well, okay, two things. One, that's going to give you a particular kind of council. And two, that is not, and this is probably something we'll get into near the end, where people are trying to draw these massively long bows for what this means for, for national elections. Um, that is not the electorate that shows up at, um, yeah, nationwide, nationwide elections. Um, yeah, which has always kind of been the um, the expectation, right? There is a bit of a different, um, yeah, a different demographic that we're talking about when we're talking about local local democracy, I suppose, big L, big D, like as a concept or as a principle. Um, that's sort of always been a an issue with the way that it's designed and sort of what it's for, as we talked about, I think, last week or the week before. Um, the way it's been set up, what it's able to do, what it's not able to do, the kind of technocratic and procedural limitations and um, impediments that get thrown up works pretty well to have a kind of uh, an elected, but in the most um, technical sense of the word, kind of property owning elite uh, by and for that kind of margin of the population, right? Um, it's hard enough getting people to vote in nationwide elections when there's the level of kind of, uh, you know, list the issues, you know, media issues, structural issues, people moving, um, Maori role issues that and all these things kind of skew against young people, against renters, against poor people. So those things are all multiplied um, kind of twofold, I suppose, if you're looking at local democracy issues, right? Yeah, and I think, and I said before we started recording, I wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna engage in cope, but I think this is something to remember is like, this is actually what, like, this is kind of normal. This is, in a lot of respects, what local government elections normally look like. Hawkins winning in Dunedin was somewhat of an outlier, and I'm really sad to see him go. I think he was, um, you know, doing, in terms of, like, urban progressive uh, changes uh, in medium-sized cities in New Zealand, I think he was doing some really interesting stuff, and I, I think that's a real loss. Um, you know, meets missing out in... Um, Christchurch is a bit of a shame, but like Delziel, yes, she was a Labour um, aligned candidate, but had, you know, not necessarily governed in that way and was running on a lot of, um, you know, name recognition, basically. 
um, and Meads himself is, you know, he's not exactly the candidate I would cook up in a lab if I was looking for someone to, to you know, um, revolutionise transport and housing in Christchurch, but he, he seemed like a thoroughly decent guy. But, like, these kind of uninspiring rates and park it, rates, roads and, and, and parking uh, candidates, it's like this is what a normal local local body election looks like and i think it's it's in some ways kind of you know you need to remember where we were in 2019 the labor government was new people were still kind of enthusiastic um phil goff was a you know pretty well targeted barely belonged in the labor party at this point um attracted a lot of center-right voters who kind of trusted him um so yeah i think the what I'd want to avoid is is this kind of, oh my god, this is the end of the world. This is like play, you know, Chris Luxon's entry music. It's over. Um, it's like no, no, no. This is what local governments often look like. It sucks. We need to talk about different ways of trying to fix it. I think we've you know seen some examples of that uh, between Auckland and Wellington. Um, the government's talked about it um, at a, you know, local government reform level, although I think all of that's fucking dead now um, because if they try to do anything, it looks like sour grapes on their part. Um, maybe Three Waters is dead. Um, but, yeah, in the end, rate pay's going to rate pay. I... And they're going to vote. Um yeah, I it's been reasonably amusing to me um to see pundits and especially kind of national aligned and national MPs uh talk about how like this is a forward march for a national act government um and trying to tie their fortunes to Wayne Brown in particular when he wasn't even your candidate to start with. Um sure, once the other right wing uh, candidates had dropped out uh, you hitched your wagon to him as well but Viv Beck was the CNR candidate which is the um, presumptive national uh, conglomerate what I didn't realize is that Brown wasn't actually an independent he was running under a banner called Fix Auckland um, which was you know there, there's a range of other fix uh, insert local board here Um that and I, I didn't see that reported on at all. I didn't know. I had no. I had no idea. And I like you know. I do a politics podcast. Uh, so there's this whole um, kind of political grouping of of down ballot Wayne Brown um, representatives. Well, it's a um, tiny. To be fair, it's a tiny grouping. I think I've seen like two of them. Um, but I think what this shows is that the people of Auckland don't like independent campaigns like Officer Collins's. And they want to see um, people openly being tied to slate, slates of um, allied people with a coherent ideology like um, fixing Auckland, right? I, I'd like, I don't disagree with that. Um, but that said, I think probably one of the most damning things for Collins was that his opponents tied him to Labour so early and he wasn't able to escape that. Um, the media just consistently called him the Labour candidate, 
um, which was just outright wrong. Um, some court and labor endorsed, but yeah, I, I definitely don't think that helped. So I, you're right. Just being an independent as well doesn't help either. You need other things connecting you to the communities that you're hoping to serve. Unfortunately, a lot of that uh, in terms of the liberal progressive space is tied up by uh, university city visions uh, and the like, which are beholden to labor. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure there's a good way uh, for the Collins campaign to manage that particular uh, electoral environment. Um, I think there was. I'd be a lot harsher on Collins' okay. campaign. Like, I don't have um, any insight into this, and I'm sure we have people who were much closer to Collins' campaign listening to this. So, um, come on the podcast and debate me, bro. Um, but basically, I think that was the most predictable attack on Collins. With that, was that it was going to be you know, what, year 13 in Auckland's super city status as a under a Labour mayor. Um, and Len Brown and Phil Goff's name recognition were in a different kind of, a different overlapping part of the electorate from where FSO knew that his base was. So that was always, that was always going to be a kind of structural issue that he'd have to fight against. Um, and I think he needed to hit out as independent way, way earlier than he did. Like part of the problem is that he's been so openly allied to Labour in the past. He didn't just run as a, um, you know, even a City Vision ticked candidate in the past. He was a big L Labour candidate in South Auckland, the strongest kind of Labour heartland. That's what he tied his his vision to. He would, you know, campaign for the Labour vote, um, walk around with Labour MPs. There was that kind of short-lived potential foray, um, allegedly, that he was thinking about running as a Labour MP which he now says he's not keen on anymore. I'm sure there's a lot of kind of behind the curtain kind of back room deals that have been set up there. But I think he should have struck out against the government much, much earlier, like straight away. Um, partly it's a, I think it's a personality thing. He's such a nice, genial kind of guy. Um, that's, it's hard to get traction when you're in a, a race with Leo Malloy and Wayne Brown um, and you're, the, you're like the nice guy on stage, right? But there's stuff he could have said that would have been much more um, what could have grabbed the media. Like, remember how much sympathetic media he got when he was fighting the government on uh, the fuel tax stuff mm -hmm. off of South Auckland? And he had right-wingers and left-wingers kind of singing his praises, and the only people who didn't like him were technocrat nimbies he didn't need. Like, that's the kind of campaign he could have run. Um, take those voters for granted. Like, triangulate. Triangulate hard. Um, just, you know, those those Labour nerds aren't going to vote for Wayne Brown. That's fine. Like, <laughs> there's a kind of, there's a crank... There's a crank contingent there that he was, I think, too averse to running against because he was running a campaign that maybe could have worked six years ago. Um, and it just felt like out of time. I think like alongside that, due to the way that we could predict lower turnout, trying to go and like turn up to Rotary Club debates in front of like 12 dudes because the media were there, while like understandable, was never going to get any votes, but you're not going to get votes out of that. Um, and I think an earlier recognition that the media environment was just going to be continuously hostile um, and not try to win them over could have been pretty useful. I One of the issues with that, though, is we don't really have alternative media channels here that I think it was like got some pretty good stuff on Instagram um, and TikTok from influencers there, but that doesn't we don't know how that translates to votes in, in the mm. current age. Um, and 
but you know like turning up to talk to 23 Wayne Brown supporters and Rodney um, isn't going to be delivering votes either and it's also a lot of time compared to having a quick chat with someone who sells protein powder I don't know what they do on TikTok or Instagram these days that's the thing right it is it is a structural system that is set up and designed to make you talk to the local residents association, both like physically show up at their debates and talk to them, but then talk to their issues because, you know, um, the media that we, but Auckland especially has um, prioritizes those things. And if you aren't seen to be performing in that way, um, you might be punished for it. Although on the flip side, if, if you were very open and look, this is all Monday morning quarterbacking. I haven't lived in Auckland for eight years. I'm not a political campaigner. So I take this as all coming from a place of love. Um, <laughs> you, you had like that. You had to run outside whatever the system is and whatever running outside that system means. I think in the end, trying to sort of have it both ways of being like, yes, this kind of progressive representative of kind of a younger, browner, future-looking, more diverse Auckland. If you're going to try to do that, you have to do it outside of the channels that like residents associations and, and the New Zealand Herald set up. Um, and maybe we don't know what those channels are. Maybe everyone has a better idea of what that looks like now from having gone through this process and with all respect to him, if, you know, Richard Hills could have won if he'd run. He's from the shore. He knows how to speak to them. But, like, what what would progressive politics actually learn from that process and about how to campaign in a local environment and what would really have changed um, in terms of, you know, the kinds of actions the council was focused on and whose interest the council was focused on? Look, it would have been better than Wayne Brown. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not that much of a, a nihilist that I, I think we need revolution or nothing. But um, yeah, I, yeah, it was, it was a risk. Like running, being perceived to run to the left of the current council and current mayor was always going to be tough. And you know, the Auckland electoral system was kind of explicitly designed by Rodney Hyde and those who worked with him to produce results like this. Like, well, actually uh, to destroy Auckland electoralism, like if we're going to be like, put it on the. Yeah. And, you know, I, I hope Labor don't chicken out on local government reform because the way the Auckland council is set up and just outright gerrymandered, like I I'm, I'm comfortable saying that some of the ways the electorates are designed, um, you know, uh, Eden Albert Pukita Papa, like all being merged into one and having just enough in Epsom and Mount Eden to make sure that Christine fucking, Christine fucking Fletcher gets reelected for the 900th goddamn time. Sorry, I'm so angry about that. <laughs> like, the, the, yeah, it's it's designed that way. And it's it's finally after 12 years performing as intended in, in a lot of ways that like centre left candidates from you know who have solid bases in their respective parts of the city um len brown is former mayor of monaco and um phil goff is longtime mp for mount roskill were able to end run around that 
assemble coalitions to actually get things done. Goff more, though, sorry, Brown more than Goff was able to. Whereas, yeah, now I, I think this is, in terms of like the, the official and unofficial institutions that Auckland has, this is the result it's designed to produce. And it's kind of, how do you root around those institutions or how do you repurpose them for a more progressive outcome? And we've learned one thing that doesn't work. But just to return to the thing you were mentioning earlier about Collins getting tagged as the Labour candidate, I think he ended up with the worst of both worlds. Because I think, you know, I'm not a member of the Labour Party and some people have have you know perceptions of that as a negative brand. Well, I thought we were all members of the Labour Party and that's the only reason <laughs> I let you on the cast. Oh, shit. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, my, my attempted entryism has failed. Um, <laughs> but yes, the Labour brand is not great on like the really, really progressive left and obviously is unpopular on the like centre-right suburban voters. But the Labour brand is still incredibly strong in large parts of Auckland. Like um, it, in the, the South Auckland electorates at a, a general election, like Labour still get 80 pushing 90 in Mangere percent of the vote, like there is, and for, you know, in some ways, really good reasons, there is loyalty to that party, what it means to the people who live there. And, you know, to a lesser extent in, in, in West Auckland as well, although the you know dynamics over 40 years have shifted there, that you could have run into that and said, like, look, I'm proudly, you know, I believe in, in what the Labour Party stands for. I'm, you know, proud of doing this and I want to, you know, ensure that um, these communities are are served and that not just everyone focuses on like yep. suburbs within stones or the sky tower. Well, that's um, essentially what Wayne Brown's mm. strategy was, right? It was to go and find three wards and get them all to vote for him and turn out. Like mm. Collins could have done the same. Like, okay, we're going to try and get uh, South Auckland up to what, 30, 40% mm. turnout. That's the whole. That's the whole game, yeah. uh, and then some. Some people might see the excitement there and have some good moments, and it'll pull some other votes. Uh, the people over there, they're not going to vote for me. Fuck it. No. Um, and this is this is Labor's problem up and down at the moment. It's like they're never going to like you. The head, Herald editorial staff, the Auckland Chamber of Commerce, um, you know, the um, business breakfast. Then they're never going to like you. They might tolerate you occasionally. After you've already that, won. That, that, after you've already won, um, you might occasionally be like welcomed at the Northern Club if you're Grant Robertson, but they're never going to like you. They're always going to want the other their guys in. And this obsessive desire with, with pleasing the business roundtable set who are not as powerful in New Zealand as they are in the UK or the US. They are not the masters of the universe. They are petty local monopolists who need government and local government contracts and support to survive. And ultimately they will come um, come around. But it's this, this, this running ever to the right, ever to the center, ever to the, I don't stand for anything. And this, to be fair, I'm more talking about Labour generally. I don't think this is how Collins ran. No, um, of course. I think, I think, although maybe could have defined himself a bit better, but I'm not from Auckland, so maybe yeah. I missed that. How much um, do you think having three major, I know we have like 
um, you know, quite marks around everything around Liam Malloy being right wing. But um, as far as the apparatus behind them, three major right wing candidates plus Craig Lord, essentially running against Defesso Collins and then being able to consolidate, while there was no more centre left or outlier left candidate um, to pull votes in the same way. It's an interesting thought, and I think this you could probably draw a contrast with Wellington structurally on this. Um, that, yeah, whether having someone like a Richard Hills or I don't know who it would be, but someone even more radically to the left um, kind of rub people up and get attention and move the debate, yeah, and to then subsequently drop out um, and consolidate behind whichever one of the three of them was doing best. Um yeah, maybe that would have been, that's an interesting hypothetical. Because um, FPP thinking right is like, no, 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 you get everyone all in line, line up your ducks, get the endorsements you need. You can only, and this is why City yeah. Vision exists, right? To, to avoid splitting the vote. Um, but having three different flavors of kind of right center, right candidates and whatever the fuck Craig Lord is, um, kind of did work. Yeah, then, I, don't, I don't know how coordinated that was. Although there was, we know there was some level of coordination in the, the way drop, that they the drop, dropped and then supported yeah, Wayne and, Brown, right? Which again, it's not conspiracy. It's just the realities of FVP elections. Is is um, they were smart enough to know, you know, there could only be one. Um, but I don't, but I, don't know. I think I think you can you can kind of electoral maths it either way, right? Because um, you could say the amount of momentum that allowed Collins to build over time meant that his campaign had a kind of deeper roots than any of those right-wing ones, um, which I think is accurate based on when he started and the time he had to put his platform together and get volunteers out and stuff. But, you know, it, I think it's it's more a demographic and a history question because, um, like I was saying before, and like Rusty was saying before, that South Auckland tied to Labour thing is so is so deep and strong, and that's Collins's history, right? It would have been seen as quite inauthentic and it would have been quite inauthentic for him to completely turn his back on that but i think he had to more significantly more than he did is my kind of two cents um like i can i can imagine a campaign where day one he wasn't just saying free fares like that's great but it's not wholly incompatible with labor as a brand in south auckland right imagine mm -hmm. if he'd said that and also um you know we're going to fire all the consultants um rack up the right get some Get some more, you know. This is all stuff that he said. He just could have framed it in a more fiery way. Yeah. The rest, the like, rest, earn, the, rest earn of, the hate of your opponents, right? The yeah. rest of Auckland hates Central Auckland. Run yeah. against Central Auckland. Get exactly. the get the west, the south, and the you know, yeah. outering suburbs on the isthmus. Um, and there's pockets of the shore that could, he could have got yeah. on board with a brand like that as well, right? There are like strongly disadvantaged communities there with a. Mm you know, kind of traveling, a lot of like renters moving from place to place, not very consistent voting. I think just running a get out the vote campaign would have been suicide, but mm. that could have been like Kyle was saying before, like focus on some areas for sure. Don't, don't try to please everyone. Um, but we're, we're getting too into Auckland probably. Let's use yeah, this here with Wellington though. Right. So yeah, the, I guess the last thing I'll say, and I, I, this doesn't just apply to Auckland. I think this is across the board. Um, and surprise, surprise, it's me ragging on the Central Labour Party. Um, they're just complete unwillingness to engage, to to be involved, to be visible, to, you know, have Ardern, who is still quite popular, you know. Uh, 
if you listen to News Talk ZB, you wouldn't believe it, but okay. through the media channels she has and, and for her constituency, she's still incredibly popular. Um, just the complete invisibility, like the derisory last-minute endorsements of Eagle and Collins were fucking insulting. It reminded me a lot of the cannabis referendum where it's kind of incredibly half-hearted not wanting to take a risk because you then you're tied to the defeat well sorry sorry mate but you're going to be tied to the defeat anyway like read any column right now across across the country and uh, uh plotting this as a, a rejection of a rejection of the status quo is the way they put it on q a this morning which i think is could not be more turned around this is the status quo reasserting itself against even the most modest reformers. Yeah. Um, Media here is a fucking joke. I just want to like, I want uh, to take the time to have my, my customary rant. They don't know what they're fucking talking about. They spent like most of the, mo most reporters and journalists and most media spent the entire local elections just doing fuck all, actively lying about progressive candidates to the, to the extent that they had to publish retractions sometimes, ignoring like, outright like indicators of corruption and just disgusting shit from right-wing candidates there's some good work to like cut out voice for freedom stuff but that all turned out to be just a fucking sideshow anyway no one's gonna vote for those pieces of shit it was like no the the real if you're worried about you know our elections being hijacked just look at like these business people who are going to use it to hand out contracts to their mates like Focus on the nepotism stuff. Meanwhile, you're running these things about Chris Farfoy, which are absolutely true, by the way. Yeah, um, and but... like this consultancy stuff. Look, what's happening in local elections? Like, have some level of understanding about what's happening right under your noses and like do something close to a local beat. Because if you've just got Bernard Orsman writing drivel every other day, of course people aren't going to turn out. Media is significantly to blame for decreasing turnout in elections. And if reporters at large fail to realize that and continue to talk about technocratic solutions and uh, what's the fucking line that people have been using this time around? Oh, you get the, you get the politicians you deserve. Fuck off. Yeah. I, I, most of you make me sick. The one person I feel really bad for in this is, is Simon Wilson, who I think, you know, I have my disagreements with some of... Um, his takes but you know he does try to do kind of generally more reflective kind of coverage of things that are going on in Auckland rather than just um yeah Osman and the other one talking to their their traffic engineering mates at Auckland Transport about how great the second hub bridge is going to be and he got attacked you know in a really gross way yeah. by uh Wayne Brown to their credit, the Herald did actually really come into bat for him and were, you know, basically saying, fuck you. I think if that had happened a couple of weeks earlier and maybe there was more to it, then tribalism could have kicked in. I don't think it would have changed the outcome, but it would have been a more interesting campaign. But I think you're right. It's Are you suggesting, Cole, that there are like underlying trends and forces and interests that like might shape institutions yeah, and maybe. outcomes? And that it's not, all just, it's not just all about Wayne Brown's Mr. Fix-It personality. <laughs> um, like... Yeah, I... I think one of the bigger indictments of our media and our political punditry as a whole is that Simon Wilson somehow gets weighed down with the leftist label when he's absolutely not left wing. Um, and in the sense that he's, he's definitely a liberal and has like some left wing ideas, but he's not like 
a frothing green or labor supporter it, it, he's so he's so far <laughs> he, he's center left um yeah. and but you've got like other people in media talking about him as being like far left essentially mm. like your analysis is cooked you have no idea what you're talking about any of you well and this is this is the thing i think a lot of the coverage i've i've seen has been pretty shallow it's been pretty facile it's like oh this is a, a vote against the status quo and the status quo is labor being in government it's like no the status quo is low rates low levels of investment of in infrastructure high levels of outsourcing um sprawling urban development that's in the interests of the businesses that enable and facilitate that um you know roading contracts that uh benefit uh contractors who know how to build roads and don't know how to build rail um that's what the status quo is absolutely you know tokenistic action on climate change um i think that that's what the status quo is and this has just been the the suburban beneficiaries of the 40 years of, of status quo we have um reasserting themselves yeah that's a great take that's a really good take i love it um and that's been probably my my longest running frustration in this in this campaign or i guess my most consistent thread in every every bloody like local election i've seen this time round there's been some form of kind of perversion of that understanding of actual policies right it's like the it's like the kind of punditry class and even people with any amount of kind of interest in local government are just kind of looking at the the tin that says local government and reading the label that says like labor or national or uh cnr or city vision or whatever it may be independent around the country and they don't take off the label to look at the ingredients in the fucking tin and be like it's the same ingredients what are you talking about like that's what the status quo is you can reskin it all you want like this kind of conception that um to go back to the safest example for me which is auckland that collins was a continuity candidate or um was more like phil goff than Wayne Brown, a man from the Phil Goff era, who's a professional <laughs> professional boards man, director, who's been doing the same thing for his whole life. You know, these people are neoliberal, interchangeable hollow suits. Like they're all shells of each other. Efeso Collins was a, a marked departure in everything but label, right? And that was that label is all that um, people were seeing. And I don't think that is, um, as I said before, I don't think, the Collins campaign or Collins individually is blameless in that identity being useful, but that's the case around the country, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely not blaming the media for the turnout issues solely, nor for the electorate's inability to to grasp these things. I just think that they're dumb um, and they can't do their jobs properly um, and they should work harder to write that. Like, it's it's embarrassing reading this shit. Like, uh, and, and this... It just comes back to like the the need for candidates on the left in particular to be working around that. And I, I don't think that we consider that enough. Sometimes we'll be like, okay, we're gonna have some hostile press. Um we can we can ride that out. It's it's far more than that. Um it is a lack of intentional or otherwise, and I think mostly otherwise, is an institutional lack of understanding about what politics even is they're so divorced from the reality of the electoral mechanics that they can't give any like even a, a reflection of, of what's actually happening on the ground and yeah i mean what's the point of journalism at at, at this stage if, so if while, that's all you're able to do 
but why didn't this work in Rusty? Why didn't this work in uh, Wellington? Why are you a hotbed of communists and radicals now? Yeah, yeah. You, you people think Red Vienna was uh, bloody, um, you know, <laughs> radical or the Paris Commune. You just wait and to to see what we do with um, with Wellington. No. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, I don't want to overplay um, what's happened in, in Wellington, but I think there are some kind of key differences that are interesting to look at. One of those is structural. Um, a, a big difference between um, Wellington and Auckland and a couple of other centres is the use of the STV system. And I think that, you know, we were talking about this idea of do you have, basically, do you hedge your bets? Do you have a few different candidates running with like slightly different flavours of progressive or conservative platforms, depending on on where you, you fall, um, that ultimately kind of can together in, in these various electoral coalitions. And I think we have seen an example of that working uh, in Wellington. Um, so that's one, I think, one, one important difference. I think that the other difference we can't overlook is that this is Wellington City. This is not Wellington region as a whole. Wellington City, much like the, the very central areas of Auckland, Christchurch, Dunedin, um, is younger, more affluent, more professional, more socially liberal and socially radical in, in, in some ways. And in the case of Wellington, where people often overstate this, a lot of people believe in government as an institution that does things. It's kind of how many of us end up here. Um, although, again, I, I think that's always overstated. But like central Wellington is probably, well, it's not probably, it is. It is the most fertile environment in the country for a, you know, greener, more progressive, um, more city-focused, more public transport-focused kind of path out of an unsustainable status quo. And I think Torefano, given her background, which relative to Paul Eagle and Andy Foster, mm -hmm. she is a pretty progressive candidate and I'm I voted for her. I'm happy she won, um, and and I, I hope she does good things. But you know, she's she is not a um, you know radical reformist. Completely change the system, rip everything up, you know, rebuild um, a kind of you know socialist inner city kind of um, candidate. I think she is she is on the kind of technocratic liberal progressive wing of of the Green Party. Um, and was running in an environment that the, that's kind of who the median voter here is in a lot of ways, um, but also ran a really good campaign. Like she was incredibly visible um, in the parts of the city where she needed to be. Um, and maybe this is, uh, it'd be interesting to know how the campaign was funded, but um, yeah, there were not billboards, but like phantom bill stickers, posters everywhere. Um, and kind of simple, simple messaging that defined her against the defined her against the status quo. Admittedly, that's easier when the status quo is Andy Foster, who is kind of New Zealand. Well, I guess Ron Mark has now taken that title off of him, but you know, New Zealand, the, the most senior elected New Zealand first uh, member in the country. Um, but yeah, she was able to run against the status quo, um, but with 
an alternative vision of how we manage the kind of multiple intersecting crises that are likely to continue happening, um, both in a global sense and in a very specifically local sense, like there are traffic problems down the central spine of the city. There are two things you can do about that. One is build roads, 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 roads forever. Um, and one is finally actually build some decent public transport to the um, southern and eastern parts of the city. Um, so yeah, I think I think that's part of it. Um, but I think it's not just that. Like at a citywide level, it's kind of a third, a third, a third, speaking very crudely, Greens, Labour, National. Um, and what got Fano over the end, over the line in the end, was a, a big swing of support from second preference poor legal voters who saw her. And, you know, he is at the number one. He's a fucking useless. He's a fucking useless candidate. He's a fucking useless MP. His camp, you know, we can talk about the various ways in which, like, the Collins campaign could have made some marginally better decisions here and differences of tactics and what have you. Paul Eagle absolutely bottled the most winnable election against, you know, a, a flailing incumbent who won by 72 votes for very specific Wellington reasons I will not bore your listeners with. And a comparatively unknown former party staffer, and he managed to, he didn't even come third, he came fourth. Like the the just abject failure of his You absolutely campaign. love to see it, honestly. Honestly, I'm so happy because in terms of like a vision for what is, both, both for local politics reasons, like his approach to politics, his policy set are, I think, the absolute opposite of what Wellington needs to look like. Um, and it's been soundly defeated. But yeah, I think the, the failures... Fourth is there. amazing though, right? Like it's... Yeah. I know you, it's it's impressive, but it is truly like if you, if you heard those numbers um, years ago, since people have been kind of floating him as the, the default who would just kind of walk into the mayoral office and be like, Thank you, Andy. I'll be taking those chains. Like you may exit out the back. Uh, yeah, thank the you for your service. Yeah. Three years ago, three days ago, I thought he was going to win. Like I, 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 I didn't think it was a dead cert, but I thought, uh, look, it's going to be him and either Tory or Andy in the final round, and he's going to get enough second preferences that he'll triangulate his way to victory. Turns out triangulation is not always the dominant strategy, and actually, you know, basically what Fana did was motivate and you know turnout is up here not all for good reasons and i'll come back to that but um with the support of some really good local progressive candidates like we had lachlan patterson who unfortunately didn't win on the podcast a few months ago now but like the green candidates across the board and in greater wellington regional council um were again out there visible motivating people what Tamitha Paul has done first as an independent and now as the, the official Green candidate in Pokehino, where I live, um, in terms of the electoral base that she gets to turn up. Yeah, um, incredible. Like probably it's, like it's the that, most excited candidate in the country. That's that's that that's the model, folks. Like fuck, we should try to get her on to, to talk about it. Like um the 
and you know wellington central is the youngest electorate in the country on average like it's it's fertile ground for it but it's leaning into that and saying hey no this is why local government matters to you as a student who is paying rack rents for a moldy collapsing bungalow in mount cook like reaching out to that audience so i think yeah the green campaign across the board there was really good there are also some great labor candidates uh down here um so yeah having having that momentum and and bringing your base out and then i think people have this notion that like centrist swing voters want absolutely centrist policies and it's like people are a random collection of a whole bunch of different radically contradictory beliefs and what they want this is i think ardern and her better moments same thing it's like well they're going to go with the the candidate who who seems to be offering something because for our many sins and people in Auckland like to, to dunk on us and people in Wellington like no, to dunk on us. No, never, people, never. Oh, and, and this oh we love each other, Wellington Auckland. People, people in Wellington will dunk on the city even harder. Like, <laughs> things have been shit here for 10, six, 10 years. Like it's been trying to coast on the sheen of the early 2000s for the past 20 years. The last three years is when people have realised that that's gone, that city doesn't exist anymore and we need to build something else. But that's created a lot of tension and a lot of angst and a lot of anger because there are people who don't want that, who want free parking outside their house, who want no traffic for their drive to town, who want to be able to park wherever they want in town for free, who don't want to have to even think about a cyclist existing um, and who don't want to pay rates that reflect the costs of you know, maintaining their infrastructure, um, who are resisting that. And we have seen that resistance kick off. But again, it's, 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 Wellington is an example, I think, of how bad shit has to get before people will start caring about local elections. And Auckland, for a variety of reasons, hasn't reached that breaking yeah. point. It's, it's still too functional as a city for people who normally wouldn't show up to show up. I mean, the other thing about Aucklanders is they fucking love getting angry in traffic. It's like, <clears throat> you know, it's a hobby. It's uh, the only way they can feel anything. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I don't want to say it's all sunshine and rainbows. I think the, what we have also seen here is a, in the outer areas a bit of a revolt on the right. Um like borderline unhinged right-wing candidates like a guy called Ray Chung uh, out West who was running on the basically I'm going to firebomb the cycleways um, and I'm going to cut your rates and um, he, he he came forth. He beat Paul Eagle in the he mayoral race. Sorry, third, yeah, he came third um, in, in the mayoral race and is now elected to council. He's going to have a fucking horrid time. He's going to hate the job and I wish him nothing but pain. Um but I think we have seen that. So a, a, a kind of rebellion in the suburban right and kind of a different kind of rebellion, but with a positive message for something um, of, of what the city could be on the centre and further left. And maybe that's the dynamic across the ground outside of Auckland. And then it's just the kind of relative size of people in those groups, living those lifestyles in those areas, working the jobs that they're in and the class that they're in, and 
kind of replicating across the ground and it's you know people in Christchurch Dunedin smaller cities don't have the same interests as students service sector workers and the professional managerial class of central Wellington um and yeah it's kind of what we've seen play out across the board yeah I think I think Wellington as a microcosm of what this means for the Labour Party um, is probably more significant than if we try and take the entirety um, of what's happening across the country as being a complete rejection of Labour. Um, and Paul Eagle specifically. Uh, that is, he is a consolidation of all the issues that Labour has with the electorate. Uh, they don't even like him, you know, oh. in the party, you know, and but they... This they was run, an exit strategy. Yeah, they, they run these candidates because they there's a lack of respect there for their voters. Um, they try and move people around. They don't give them exciting policies. They uh, Dern shows up as an afterthought um, to do this pretty significant um, kind of local issue of the mayoralty uh and just kind of flip a coin on it um and assume they're gonna win it reminds me of um i can't remember who it was but after the 20 this isn't obviously a one-to-one uh comparison but after the 2016 uh american election i forget who it was but someone said uh it's amazing that in this kind of historical time we've had one of the parties trying to inflict like the least popular um presidential candidate on the people who was saying things that everyone widely disagreed with, um, and yet uh, that was Hillary Clinton, right? That's mm. that's how establishment and unpopular you can be, and that's kind of the eagle comparison, right? Is that everyone who matters hates him, but because of name recognition, that kind of incumbency bias and just kind of building momentum over over the years and over the years, you go, mm. well, where do you put someone like that? Mayor, right? That's how you get rid of that person. That's one of the like establishment paths that you're oh. allowed to take. Yeah, and I mean, you know, normally it's a retirement pathway for more senior um, former cabinet ministers who have kind of who are retiring, you know, treating treating local government as their retirement. I I don't think that's what Phil Goff did, um, but you know, he he had when he decided to switch an established national public profile. He was one of the leading ministers in the Clark government, similarly Leon Delzeal in Christchurch. Um, there's others before that, before that, but I can't bring any to mind. That's not who Paul Eagle is. He's a second-term MP who I think what we can't overlook there is the kind of internal politics of different parties in different areas that, you know, for whatever reason, he has a base of support within the Rangatai and Wellington Labour Party. I've heard some people like, you know, I don't. I don't want to give credit to to our competitor podcasts, but the guys on at the drive through, like, oh, no, sorry, I didn't hear it. Edit yeah, it yeah, out. yeah, yeah, yeah. Cut that out. You just bleep it out. Um, but you know, they were talking about like he is actually a decent guy if you know him locally in Wellington. It's like, well, he must have something because he did get to be councillor and MP for for you know a few years. Um. It so might that play be, role. Yeah, it might just be blackmail collateral on important people in the Labour Party, but he's got something, obviously, he's, right? It might just be they worked directly with his um, ostensible political opponents to train them up against his uh, Labour 
compatriots. I, I don't know. know. It, it could just be that. Still. It might just be I, not um, endorsing uh, the other candidates that are running alongside him uh, and consolidating his base that way. I don't know. I I don't know, but whatever it is, he the people thought he had something, um, and they put him in, and he ran as far to the right as he possibly could have, and he got his fucking ass handed to him, and I'm very happy to see it. Um, but yeah, um, well, I I think we want to move on to the last part because we have we've been mm. running on. There's lots to talk about. Um, but what do we think? What what do we think this means? What can we take from this that is useful for 2023 um, and for national elections? Because that's what uh, people in national on the right of punditry and the media are trying to make a lot of hay uh, in regards to at the moment. People on the left and Labour have obviously had their mouths firmly closed um, so far. My concern is there's a real risk that Labour just buys the right-wing take on this. Uh, that, oh, yes, look, it's a swing rightwards. We better try harder to make these people love us. And, and I'm not saying, like, they shouldn't um, rain stuff like Three Waters in a little bit um, if, if they think that that is one of the major driving uh, factors of this. But I am saying that they shouldn't take a what 40 percent turnout is the highest we've seen in these local elections as a strong as a strong indicator of political success um to to move center or center right well i think part yeah. of it is that kind of appealing to different demographics as um rusty was talking about before and just acknowledging that those exist like um i've been really enjoying watching your kind of lanes conception of um councillors come right a piece Give but, us this like give us an encyclopedia. But yeah, I mean, I think you can you can draw a line pretty quickly between that and an understanding of how to appeal to different uh different types of candidates, different sorry, different types of voter demographics at a national level. Um Rusty, if you could like give us a 10-second pricey on on what that is. I think I think there are useful kind of lessons there at a national level as well as a local level. Yeah. So it's it's basically between kind of demographics, aesthetics, and policy preferences, if you kind of look at what the combinations of those are. There's kind of these lanes that candidates can, well, sorry, the, the, these these lanes of support that exist for particular candidates that you can kind of, and, you know, this is, this is nothing original. This is basic political science stuff, but applying it to Wellington, you can sort of go, okay, there are roughly these constituencies. They're more or less prominent in different areas and candidates have sort of appealed to those coalitions. What Fano did well is basically everything from the most progressive Yimby, um, you know, honor to tittity, left green position, all the way through to the kind of, oh, well, I kind of like having my e bike, but I'm really not sure about all of the changes that are happening, sort of squishy center, um, centrist, um, conservatives assembling enough messages for all of those to kind of clump them together um other candidates have done a small target strategy of i am getting everyone in the pissed off talk back listening um outside outs, outside of the center city i mean work for wayne lane. brown right that and it's i think that's basically what wayne brown has done so i think that yeah there's probably more to be said on that um in terms of what that could mean for next year and kind of what coalitions the 
parties are trying to assemble. Um, my number one thing I would like people to remember is that local elections matter for the cities that you're in, but like they are not as clear a predictor. Like who was out there saying when Phil Goff and Len Brown won in Auckland that that was the death knell of the John Key government and that this is a clear sign that the people of Auckland are rejecting um you know, national nationals vision and agenda, of course, because it's a stupid thing to say. Um, and I think outside of select issues with a particular local valence, and I think Three Waters is one of those, um, I don't think you can generalise this. It's a very different electorate. It's very different, you know, 40% versus 80%, who the 40% that don't show up in local government is not evenly distributed. Um, so I think just trying to replicate what's happened here next year. I know why people are saying that, because they have an agenda and an interest in people believing it. Either or just to, a very shallow understanding of how politics works. Yeah, it's kind of Labour is the thing, people voted against the thing, therefore Labour bad. It's it's pretty disappointing, especially coming from people who I know know better, that it's not just because they're thick, um, it might be because they're lazy, um, or it might be because they're They've got a barrow to push. I don't know. Um, but yeah, number one, don't generalize this. But I think the other thing is you've got to offer people kind of a, and this is something Labour, the local Labour candidates, not Eagle, who was Labour endorsed, but not, he was of the Labour Party, but not in it or whatever. The local candidates here ran with a party label proudly labor here's what we're offering you here's yeah. what you know here's our here's something you can grab onto as like a that's a, a vision for the city that i can see that i believe in how did rebecca matthews do at, like in terms of i, I um, know i know she's in yeah, yeah she's in um she did really well on the primary vote but i think there was some splitting of that between her and Patterson. Um, but like in the end she was safely re-elected with Yeah, I mean that's um, the thing, right? Like there are the some key there. candidates who mm. who ran very strongly on Labour and or Greens policy mm. and branding who and punished it. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, um Karori is like the for for our Auckland and, and other area listeners, that is like the kind of what passes for middle of the road suburbia down here. Um, but I think what, what candidates have realized is like, I don't need to please everyone. Two thirds of the, 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 the ward can hate me, but a third, you know, love me. Um, yeah. That's what I need. And I think yeah. for, if you, if you have the luxury of not having to, be Jacinda Ardern and thinking about how do I get to 61 seats if you're coming at this from a like how do you maximize the electoral advantage at different levels of, of politicians representing progressive causes I think that's the message it's don't try to get everyone get the people who like you to be fanatical and really committed to the idea because they're going to they're gonna turn more people out as well if you have yeah. like that level of support and I think that's um, to generalize instead, like mm. instead of um, in this one particular case, I think that's um, probably the biggest risk for Labour is that they have done these last two terms by keeping everyone in line by ensuring that they are one voice across 
you know, a, an absolute majority in, in the party. Um, and you cannot, you cannot offer that in New Zealand. You, you cannot have a generalized party line, which you're then trying to sell to the entire country, unless there are very specific, like we're giving you a hundred dollars each um, every week, not just mm. three times once. Um, you have to have like a significant election bribe if you're going to have mm. that level of uh, standardization um, across mm. national politics. New and Zealand politics it, doesn't work like that. No, and it worked very briefly in 2020 where everyone from like... That was a very specific ask, the most, right? The, yeah, it was everyone across the kind of class strata from the you know most disadvantaged kind of um you know unhoused people in, in the center cities who like right we're going to find an empty backpackers and put you in everyone from there to the look small and medium businesses here is as much money as you need to keep going just like stay alive all of their interests were aligned behind a particular kind of state action project in terms of fighting covid and so Labor were able, Labor didn't have to think about kind of conflict or differences of interest. They were able to run behind a unity message and, you know, historic victory as a result. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's not, what, that's not what the next year, five years, 10 years and is going a, to look the like. one major lesson I'd say Labor and, and probably the Greens, mm. um, or, you know, progressives, uh, should be taking out of this set of local elections, almost very, very no other clear indicators uh, other than that kind of like when you do specific things and target like a strong group at a local level, and, you know, that doesn't have to be like a ward that can be an electorate, people will get on board and you might pick up the second vote for party as well. Well, you know who's been doing pretty well at that for the last few years is Te Pāti Māori, right? They've, exactly. They've identified their lanes. There are multiple lanes. They're not the same thing. Like, as uh, Rusty's saying, like, Wellington has a certain set of lanes. It won't look like that around the country. Um, and that's okay. You can make uncomfortable alliances with different parts of your electorate, different demographics. You can pull in for different reasons. Yeah. Te Pāti Māori has that, like, any alliance does, any political movement does. They know lines they won't cross and lines they can cross given the certain strategic situations they can make local promises to specific communities to have certain specific material outcomes for those groups and it's paid off pretty well for them right there's no reason for them to appeal to 90 percent of the electorate like that's there's no reason for them to do that there's literally no gain right and in fact they're watering down turnout and enthusiasm for their supporters every time they try to do that whereas other more like quote-unquote mainstream i suppose uh liberal maybe uh, political progressive institutions don't seem to be getting that message like it's not it's not how you can fight in these in well, these contexts and it's, it's it's in large part because of the uh professionalized structures we have built up around wellington and parliament in particular that are saying oh xyz is a strategy and they they too have no idea because they're so tightly tied to the media parliamentary blob um that they don't they seem not to understand the rest of the country at this point. Well, it's uh, against, and it's against someone like Clint Smith's interest to admit that there are other ways of campaigning than pulling across 0.1% of yeah. national supporters, right? And uh, by uh, having uh, incredibly poorly thought out tax policies that would be a fucking disaster if implemented. <laughs> and, and it's why they default to um, kind of liberal ID poll branding, branding, right? Because that gives them some clear, like, 
social socially liberal lanes to run in uh where they can carve out um and i don't want to say cancel um but but reject particular subsets on that basis but that's not real it's it's never been real it's always been a framework that you're overlaying over much more complex social considerations. I, like... I mean, the lanes, yeah, the actual, the material in the lanes is going to be different, right? That's the first thing we need to recognize from Rusty's mm-hmm. analysis of, of Wellington is that, you know, please money... don't gen- yeah, please don't generalize what works in Wellington to the rest of the country. <laughs> well, this place is about, weird. <laughs> what, 90, 92% of people who work in Wellington, I think, have to be analysts by law? Is that is that the, um, <laughs> that the number now? I can't remember. Some number around that. But yeah, obviously it would be a disaster to try to roll out anything based on the actual substance of those kind of strategies, but give people something to vote for, figure out who you can have in your coalition and relentlessly appeal to those people and enthuse them. That's a really safe kind of strategy. And <laughs> I mean, Chloe did that in Central Auburn. That's exactly that's- what I was about to say. It's, right? it's, it's the same thing. Intensely different. high energy, focus on the people you can get and give other people reasons to come into that, come into that <laughs> coalition, right? It's not exclusionary, so you're not. It, it's not the kind of campaign that's um, disregarding forty percent of people, but it is explicitly and vociferously advocating for the needs of the minority that you need. And then mm. people feel like they're with you instead of for you, right? If that yes, sense. it's the kind of um, solidarity rather than representation type of dem- um, democratic kind of appeal. Mm. Yeah, and I think um, hopefully we, you know, see people learning this. And then to be, you know, to give some credit to some of the really good work people in the Collins campaign did, I think that was that was what they were aiming for. Um, and fuck it, it was worth a go. Like, mm-hmm. you know, um, this particular version of it didn't work probably the least accommodating circumstances in terms of like where Auckland's head is at in terms of how it feels about the Labour Party after the 2021 lockdown I think that is to come back to the kind of Wellington versus everybody frame like there was a a genuinely like anti-central government anti-Labour element to this across the board which is different than Wellington because of the government being here um so I think it, it wasn't the right time or the right message, but I think the the overall idea is it has to be the right one because because just running someone else like Phil Goff, you know, finding the the next nearest equivalent and and trying to maintain a broken status quo isn't an option. The defenders of that status quo have an easy task, and but you've got to offer people something a different way out of it which at least for local issues, maybe we've got that here. Maybe it's going to be a disaster. This is the other thing is like Wellington Council will eventually go back to being Wellington Council and fighting over petty, stupid local issues that don't matter and that everyone should just move past. But at least in terms of a kind of theory of the case, a theory of change. Yeah, there's... There's, and, there's, a, and big, I think there's the, a mandate for it, um, as, as There's a mandate say. for it. And, you know, I think that the Swarbrick example and, you know, the series um, you guys did last year about that, I think, shows what that model looks like. Encouragingly, Julian Genters said in reply to a stupid thread we were having on Twitter that she's going to have a solid go on Rongatai, which I think is cool. I think that's exactly the right thing to do. Um, 
and hopefully the the Greens and Te Pāti Māori and the good bits of the Labour Party try to do the same with some local candidates. I think, unfortunately, Labour are now stuck with a lot of backbench local MPs who are not going to inspire people. But after the massacre that they're going to get next year, I think that's a real opportunity. I think it's a great place to leave it. Hey, thanks so much for uh, coming to co-host with me. No worries. My commiserations. Just remember, local council, it matters, but it doesn't matter that much. Tomorrow is another day. Don't think about Wayne Brown. We're going to turn up on Monday morning and the entirety of every public service at local level will be fired. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm moving to Wellington, so you can deal with that. <laughs> All right, that's been another week. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. I'll put the requisite Patreon link uh, in the summary if you want to uh, throw us some money for independent media. Uh, give it a reshare, give us a five stars, give us a positive comment on whatever podcast app you're using. And we'll catch you next week sometime. Relentless routines dying embers of your dreams is a lie aspirational will you die keeping your glass half full the relentless routines the dying embers of your dreams is a lie aspirational will you die keeping your glass half full you don't hate your nation you hate nationalism You don't hate your nation You hate nationalism